Warning, this episode contains loud static noises at certain parts, profanity, and has themes of abusive relationships, murder, suicide, and torture. Listener discretion is advised. Ah, the canned hamburger and mushroom soup we cooked up really hit the spot. Nothing like a good meal after some hard work, huh? Huh? You didn't like the soup? But I'm such a good cook. Ah, well, more for me then. But I do hope you've got the stomach for the rest of the tale. Now, where were we? The ritual seems to be working right about... Just gotta give it a couple whacks. Now, there we go. Look into the waters of the army helmets, my friend. And hopefully, the other young man's experience can enlighten us on what happened before we were interrupted. Vision two and a half. Ian. And for this debriefing, we have one last document written by Sergeant Ian Colesworth. The difference between this document and the other ones we have discussed the last time was this one has just appeared out of nowhere, to put it in layman's terms. No one has the proper record of when it appeared in our files, and no one remembers picking it up from the site. We have handled it with the utmost care, using sanitized gloves, and trying to not manhandle it. But, either way, it seems to have been deteriorating. We do not know if that is because of the nature of the paper or because of our mishandling. Either way, we managed to copy most of the contents down. To finish up the debriefing, this is the last document written by Sergeant Ian Colesworth, presumably before he died. I'm not much for the writing, but after pinching myself and confirming with Oliver that I am not dreaming or having an episode of delusion, I think it important to jot down what's happening. I suspect it will help with the eventual mountain of paperwork that will assault me if I manage to find the main tunnel that Commander McKay and the rest of the boys were in. But, for now, I'm stuck with what I thought was a raving madman. Oliver could still very be one, but seeing as the thing he claimed was haunting him is now haunting me, I think it's safe to say he's not. Or we both are. This is why paperwork and documentation is important. At least words on paper cannot betray my intention or misconstrue my tellings by way of unreliable witnesses. I've taken Oliver's journal he kept writing letters in, and now we are sharing it to jot down important things. We'll write more after exploring this new tunnel. Well, the tunnel seems to be a long and spacious one. The further we go on, the higher the ceiling gets. Luckily, it's still a tunnel and not a cavern. There's no way to get lost. Regardless, we have marked the wall of the initial cave-in with chalk. The strange thing is, though, there should be rubble and debris. But there's not. It's just more jagged rock. Oliver, noticing my confusion over the absence of rubble, said, 
the man in the walls didn't make a cave-in. Oliver says, the stone devil has taken us here for torturing, he screams in his Yankee voice. He's gonna torture us for our sins. I think perhaps Oliver and I should walk along the walls, dark as they may be, and try to listen for the commander and the boys. If we scream loud enough, I'm sure that they could blow this thing wide open and have us out in a jiffy. We'll write again soon, after I try convincing Oliver of this plan. Well, I don't know how long it's been. Oliver's constant whimpering and the work to try to get to help has felt long and exhausting. I feel that Oliver's hysteria is bleeding into my mind. And I cannot tell if the sounds of the footsteps in the wall is because Oliver has planted the seed of irrational thought, or if there truly is some daft bastard walking in the stone. Or, perhaps, I think, it's a tunnel that's side by side ours, perhaps the one to get back to the commander. I have tried to crack open what should be a thin wall between us using my pickaxe, but it's just more stone. Oliver and I have taken shifts of digging either to the footsteps or to where we last remember the main tunnel to. I keep having to reassure Oliver to keep him focused and working. Working hands keep the mind busy and all that, but I fear that he is close to a mental collapse. After sharing the MRE I have with him, we will continue picking at the wall. We'll write soon. Ah, damn, it's still not as clear as I need it. Hold on, my friend. Gotta hit it like you would a TV. Almost got it. Hold on. I almost got it. I surely have it. Oh, it's getting clearer. I can see things happening to the young men. Hold on. Ah, I think, I think, just, just one more good smack. I know you're spying on me. Finally, I got it. Now let's return to the tale. Now, what was Ian saying? Oh, here it is. <coughs> it's just more stone. Despite our efforts, our bleeding hands and aching backs, it's just more bloody fucking stone. Literally, there's some red, raunchy liquid that is now splashing toward us whenever we hit the stone, as if we are not in a tunnel, or a cave, or anything of the sort. It is as if we are now doomed inside flesh. An unholy cage of a stomach, our iron bars that of a giant set of ribs. I can hear them, skittering along the walls, watching us, hearing us. Perhaps Oliver was telling the truth, but... Seeing as both he and I are now in a different tunnel, I cannot protest his innocence to the commander. We are being hunted, 
hunted by the man in the walls. Oliver keeps crying and warning me about the steam the man uses as a weapon. But so far, the man seems determined not to hurt me physically, but mentally. He speaks to me of my most personal demons, of the night five years ago that I have told no one about. How does it know? In his wretched voice, he demands that I atone for my sins, that I take my service rifle and end both Oliver's in my life, and it makes me sick. I may be a no-good drunk stuck down here with the other rejects of the army, but I'm not so much of a weak man to resort to murder to save my own hide. Although he stalks us, Oliver and I have resolved to one of two things. We somehow lure the stone devil to the outside, where we can perhaps pierce its unholy flesh with blade and bullets. But seeing as it loves to hide inside the walls, I cannot think of a way to lure it out. Or, if we are indeed inside flesh, we kill the monster that has swallowed us. Like Noah and the whale, all we can do is pray. Pray that the good Lord gives us a way out. It seems to never leave us, but it never outright stops us either. It just listens and then comments like the shrinks they had me talk to back then. It's just as frustrating now as it was then. He acts like he knows us deeply on a personal level, but he's just my demons made manifest. One would think that having those deep, dark thoughts be able to touch you, be able to harm you, would terrify. But it doesn't, because it can mean that I can touch him. It means that I can put my fist to his nose and punch him. And that is all I could ever ask of the Lord. But Oliver, oh, Oliver and his weak self, can remain scared and crying like a wee babe, but I will value my life and escape. First, I will kill that demonic bastard in the walls, and then I will crack the wall, march right up to Commander McKay, and demand his sorry ass to send me back home. I've had enough of the war. The man in the walls hasn't spoken to us. I'm sure he's there, but he disappeared sometime after I last wrote. And that has been God knows how long ago. Time has felt like it's been bleeding here. Sometimes it's a light abrasion on the clock. Other times it's an arterial spray of hours lost. Either way, with his absence, Oliver and I have been digging once again at our initial entrance, hoping to crack the wall and escape this place. But all we get is slag, rock, and more of the stone blood that occasionally oozes out. After a long time of wearing ourselves out foolishly, I chose to stop and try to think of another way. Oliver stopped his weeping, took a break from digging to tell me of his family, his mother and his fiancée. 
although there was still a faint moistness in his eyes, as if he was still weeping, he regaled with a smile of how much he missed them. A lucky man he is. He has people waiting for him at home. The only person who cared if I was ever home was my father. Not out of worry or anything else, but out of this twisted idea of parenting. The idea that I only existed to make myself rich and use those riches to, to take care of them until he died. He never celebrated my birthdays with any gifts and said he told me to get a job and pay bills. Never gave me an allowance, not even a damn nickel for some ice cream. Not even anything for anything I wanted. Just, just stuff that would help him. That twisted idea of parenting he had. He twisted me with it. He wanted to fold me into the right outfit for him to wear to all the parties and galas. He wanted me to run some business I had no pride nor interest in because it's the family business. Just so he could point to me at the family reunions and the high school reunions and all the bloody other fucking reunions. Just to point at me. And then at his balls and smile to his fucking friends. Look at that boy, I can hear him say. Look at that boy in the fancy suit. I made that. And now I'm free from him, only to be trapped in another cruel man's machinations. Ain't life just a bitch? It's frustrating. It's sickening. But Oliver has people waiting for him at home. A mother and a soon-to-be wife. I wonder how that feels. I wish I had some semblance of courage to ask him. I started picking up the shifts and told him to rest, to not dig anymore. I'll crack a hole in that wall, I swear it. Because I admit I had started to hate this man and his tears. I thought them to be meaningless, the result of a man too chicken shit to face death in the eye and do what needed to be done. But it wasn't cowardice. It was just the fear of a man making those around him sad, making family miss him. I've never had that fear, but I always wanted to. I will write again when something comes up. For now, I dig to give Oliver hope. This has to be hell, or a subsection of it. I finally, we had finally made it out. A finger or two of us through this tiny hole I had finally forced out of that damnable wall. But we were out. I could even see the commander's silly bright hat he wore down here. I could hear him as well. But then it just, it just sealed right up. 
Oliver and I could have only felt the grief of it for but a few moments when the bastard in the wall started laughing at us. He started off in that raspy devil's voice, and he slowly made himself sound like the one man I never wanted to hear from again. <laughs> Hello, Ian. My father. I suppose it would be easy for a devil to mimic a man in hell. And yet, I was surprised and angered all the time. I do not know if Oliver could hear him as he was immediately crying on the floor. <laughs> the bastard taunted us. You are both sinners. Horrible men who do not deserve even the water filtered through the dead bodies you both have helped in piling. You do not deserve the hope that is dangled in front of you. But I will cut both of you a deal. Kill the other, and the winner goes free. <laughs> he cackled again, and then went silent, waiting on our response. The churches back home always told us to not deal with devils, but I can't figure out another way to get out. And so I whispered to Oliver what we would have to do. Kill me, I urged him quietly. Oliver's face went white, his eyes confused, and his mouth agape. I've got nothing back at home, Ollie boy. But you do, so kill me. He didn't say anything, but I had decided for the both of us, with a loud, We're ready! The monster gave us two sharp knives made from our service weapons. I was wondering where my revolver had went, and now here it was back in my hand, a malformed blade. I stared across the hallway at Oliver, his face a mix of bewilderment and determination. In order to go free, we would have to make it look real. We rushed at each other, he threw out some straight jabs. I ducked and stabbed him in the chest, trying not to drive the knife deep. He tackled me, and I let him bring me down to the floor. Some hours with no food or water had made my knees weak. Who knew I would be grateful to be starving? It made the acting all the more easier. I acted to stab him again and let him knock the knife out of my hand. Stabbing my wrist and my chest a few times, I exaggerated my pain in audible groans. Ah! 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 In the moment, I think I was the world's best actor. But not Oliver. For he had tears in his eyes, snot dripping from his nose. A young boy being forced to kill an old man. As he drove the blade in for the last time, he got close to me and whispered, I'm sorry, Ian. I'll try to get help. I let out a death rattle. Uh, 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 uh. Continuing the deception, 
and tried to peacefully die. The pain was immense and the boy meant well, but I secretly had hoped that before he could get back, that I would die. Regardless, the monster laughed, this time in another man's voice I could not recognize. Good job, Oliver Dennis Campbell. Now get out, and don't ever let me catch you robbing corpses again. Do you hear me? My vision fading. I slowly turned onto my stomach and watched Oliver soundlessly start to run out of the new exit the monster allowed him. A smile crept across my face until I saw the poor boy turn around to look at me. He should have kept his eyes forward. He would have seen the commander in front of him. He would have seen him pull out his shotgun. He would have seen the evil smile the commander had, how it slithered across his face, past his nose, past his eyes, onto his forehead. The poor boy. He should have just kept running. Another exciting tale. Sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel isn't the sun. It's the flashlight mounted on a gun. But alas, we should be glad, my friend. Glad that we aren't Oliver and Ian. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Ah. Should we meet again, let it be in a more picturesque place, huh? Ha, 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 Hi, if you listen to Vision 2 or V2, then you know that I promised this part like a month ago or so, but I had some personal complications and writer's block, and it had to make the whole idea of writing seem not fun. Sorry about that. I'll try to do better. I'm also sorry to anyone who hears the weird Scottish accent I tried to do. I like doing accents, and some are good and some are horrible. So to anyone who's listening that's outside of the U.S., who actually does genuinely have those accents, I'm sorry if you are extremely offended by my butchering of your dialect. Is that the right word? Of your accent. We'll just keep it as that. I'm, I'm sorry for being dumb. I don't know how to think or speak. It's a horrible disease going on over here in the U.S. We're all dumb. Anyway. This story was written by me, Jacob Dylan Harold. Sound effects were provided by Anchor.fm, VoiceChanger.io, and a website called Evananto. I'll fix it in the sound description. Anyway, if you like the story in the podcast, please leave us a review on whatever app you're listening on. And if you know anybody who likes short stories, particularly horror most of the time, send them our way. Follow us on Instagram at Prophetic Droplets Pod to always know when the next episode is coming. I swear, I'll actually uh, upload them this time. And remember, no matter where you live or where you escape to, you cannot escape your regrets. You have to face them sooner or later.